Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, media trainer and editor of veganbusinessmedia.com, the multimedia blog providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Miyoko Shinner of Miyoko's Kitchen in California. Miyoko's Kitchen is an award-winning producer of cultured nut products, including a range of fantastic vegan cheeses and a new vegan butter product. The company's only 18 months old, but it's seen massive growth in this time, and its founder, Miyoko Shinna, has been working in the plant-based foods arena for several decades. She started her first business in Tokyo when she was in her 20s, lugging heavy pound cakes on her back on public transport to deliver them to customers. Since then, she's run successful businesses, including Now and Zen Vegan Restaurant in San Francisco and a natural products company that manufactured a range of items from meat substitutes to pastries, before taking time out to raise a family. The author of five books, including Artisan Vegan Cheese and her latest homemade vegan pantry, Miyoko's mission is to replace the dairy cases in stores worldwide with delicious plant-based alternatives. And she's well on her way to doing that. It's exciting times for the company as it goes into its next growth phase, while Miyoko actively promotes veganism through talks, cooking demonstrations, participation in the recently formed Plant-Based Foods Association, and as a presenter on the Vegan Mashup TV show, which is screened on PBS in America. In this interview, Miyoko talks about the importance of systematizing and streamlining production in order to grow your business, how taking an educational as opposed to a judgmental approach with staff and customers is key to a company's success, why having competition is a positive thing for all involved, when the right time to pay yourself as a business owner is, and much more. Here's the interview with Miyoko Shinner of Miyoko's Kitchen. Hello, Miyoko. Thank you so much for joining me today. Katrina, I'm delighted to be on your show. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. So you've had such a lot of success with Miyoko's Kitchen um, and I absolutely love your products. They come as far over here as, as Australia and you've got lots of fans over here. So one of the questions I always ask people uh, to start with is what are the drivers for running your business? What's your why? Well, the why really is is uh, motivated because of uh, my belief that this is really the direction that food has to go in the future for sustainability, uh, the welfare of animals, and our own health. I mean, it's absolutely critical that we start making important choices in how we choose our food and what we put into our bodies um, because it's really more than just about us. It's not just about what we like anymore. It's really about how does this food affect uh, the rest of the world and animals and the, envir- and, and the environment. So it's such an important thing, um, and I want to make food that speaks to that. 
Absolutely. And what I, I love is that that's such a good example of, um, you know, running a business as a form of activism. Um, you know, we've got to make it as easy as possible for people to embrace veganism and plant-based eating. So I love that you're doing that, particularly in the, the vegan cheese kind of uh, arena, which is wonderful. Now, one of the things that comes up with a lot of, and particularly in the food arena with, with vegan business owners, is that vegan food, and particularly more so if it's organic um, and fair trade and, and that kind of thing, it, it ends up being the end product is pricier so I'm just wondering how do you deal with that challenge to stay competitive and attract people to your brand well you know expense of course the price of the product is reflect it reflects not only uh, the actual raw materials and labor that's involved but um, in certain countries like the United States there are subsidies that keep prices artificially low for things like dairy products so anytime you have um, an organic product that is not, does not come from a commodity that doesn't receive subsidies from the government, it's going to be a little bit more expensive. But I do believe that uh, consumers are becoming savvy to that, realizing that sometimes you get what you pay for. Um, but as the industry grows in terms of plant-based foods, uh, prices are going to come down. They are already coming down. Uh, manufacturers are achieving efficiency scales that allow them to make things less expensive. Um, we've grown so much that we're actually looking for a new, uh, we are going to be moving into a new plant and we're going to be uh, automating a lot of our systems. We've had a very small, you know, handcrafted batch production up until now, but we'll be streamlining a lot of our processes, which will hopefully, uh, you know, be able to bring the price down uh, for consumers. So I, I believe that manufacturers have a responsibility in assessing um, production methods that can allow them to streamline their processes, but at the same time, the whole industry has to grow uh, and get to a point where we have a voice and you know we're not competing with uh, subsidized industries like the dairy industry. That's a really good point, and I'm glad you mentioned that. And, and it's not just in the US as well. I know it happened in Australia and the UK. Um, it's the same thing. They're so heavily subsidized. And I think it's pretty exciting times, what with the, the Plant-Based Foods Association and the Good Food Institute in the US. I hope we'll be seeing, as you say, you know, plant-based um, uh, manufacturers having a voice and for those um, prices to come down. So that, that's fantastic. So what were some of your, when you were um, starting up Miyoko's Kitchen, what were some of the key challenges when you were first starting out? Uh, honestly, this is so funny, but you know, I, I've had other businesses in the past and I had very few challenges. Um, this was, the timing was right. The, the, you know, the, the market was ready for a company of this sort. And so a lot of other companies had, have, have had, you know, have challenges that I was sort of free from. Um, we were very lucky. Um, we had financing. Um, we had a, a small facility. I think some of the challenges that we had for, was that we just sort of underestimated the demand that we would have from the get-go. And so we, we were actually planning a little bit smaller, um, slower growth. And so we were kind of caught off guard in terms of our planning. Um, so I think, you know, the takeaway from that is that I probably should have studied the industry a little bit more in terms of where, how far it had come. Um, I was still thinking a little bit behind the times in terms, you know, just in terms of how ready it was for a product like this. Um, and I should have planned a, better for, you know, more exponential growth than we actually, uh, than, than we actually did. 
I think that's a really good point. I really appreciate appreciate your honesty in sharing that because sometimes that can happen. Obviously, it's a maybe a more a high quality problem, as we might call it. You know, a lot of people. This think, is oh, a very high quality. Problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I've had yeah. just the opposite problem in the past. You know, I had another company twenty years ago, fifteen twenty years ago, um, when the world really wasn't quite ready for vegan food. Um, and even though I got a lot of media attention um, and good distribution, uh, I had a lot of other challenges. A lot of it was financing because at the time people were investing in uh, the dot-com phase. That was, that was you know, there was, all, there was a lot of excitement about that. And food was just not an exciting area to put money into. They just didn't see a lot of growth in that. Food is very exciting now because people are seeing food as something not as, you know, of course it's got staying power because people have to eat. But also, it has a way, it has the, the the power to shape how the world uh, changes over the course of the next 20, 30 years. And so, people are really excited about that, putting money into food. Um, there's a lot of biotech money going into food these days, mm. as well. And we've too, seen quite so. a few, yeah. And we've seen quite yeah. a few high-profile investors as well, like even Bill Gates, Sebastiano right. Costia Castiglione. It's pretty exciting when you know those yeah. kind of high-profile people start to take it seriously. What about then? So as as your business has grown, um, how what what is what challenges have you, if any, have you seen as you've grown, and how have you overcome those? Really, we've had problems uh, just with production. That has been our biggest bottleneck: is trying to expand faster. And we developed a system for you know that had limitations in the current facility. Um, so that's really been our biggest challenge: is uh, how do we ramp up in our current facility? Um, how do we meet demand? How do we slow down? I mean, there is so much demand now, I think, for plant-based foods. And I don't think it's just our problem. I think a lot of plant-based food com- companies are experiencing the same sort of demands that we are. And, you know, how do we get to the next level and make sure we satisfy customers, um, maintain quality? Um, so it's really smart growth. And that's been our, our biggest challenge. I think we've done a fairly good job of it. Um, you know, we've got a really great team of people here, um, and but we realized that we need to move sooner than than we had originally planned. Got it. And you mentioned um, teams. So how many employees approximately do you have, Mioko? Okay. We have about thirty five now. About thirty five. And how do you go about yeah. finding and keeping experienced and motivated staff? Well, we've been really fortunate. We have a lot of uh, in terms of the administration and management, we've got a really, really strong team um, with industry experience. So we've been fortunate in attracting people. I believe when you have a really good product and you've got a mission-based company like this, you find a lot of like-minded people that have the same sort of passion that are really committed to improving the world. And, you know, they want to work in that sort of environment. They're not just, uh, you know, working for a paycheck anymore. They're working with a mission in mind. So we've got a great team of people. Um, And then we have the production team, and we even have a lot of vegans working in production. Um, That's been more of a challenge, um, keep finding and keeping production people, not uh, because it's, you know, it's a terrible job or anything, but because of the location of the current business right now. We're not really in an industrial area in this uh, this little sleepy little town called Fairfax in California. It's kind of like a little hippie town to throw back to the 60s. Um, and, um, so it's not, it's, it's just a different type of neighborhood for, you know, sort of, uh, more in, industrial, um, job. So that's been more difficult, but we've managed, um, to find people and, um, we keep finding more people. 
um, we try to create, it's really important to us, we have some sense of community and family here. So, uh, you know, we've served employee lunches here since the beginning, um, and they're all vegan lunches. Um, and it's really, it, we want to be able to show our employees how delicious vegan food can be. Um, so that's, um, some, you know, that's something I'm really, really committed to, um, uh, making sure that our employees are not only fed, but they're fed a very healthy vegan lunch and, and they learn about veganism. That's wonderful. It's such a good example of, you know, how to look after your staff so that they're ambassadors for your, for your business. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, yeah um, we also have like education. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Carry on. Uh-huh. No, I was just going to say we also have um, sort of imp- education days where, you know, we show movies like Cowspiracy. Um, oh. And we talk about veganism. So we've done that as well, too, for people who aren't vegan um, or just for the whole staff, because we just want people to know that we're not a company that just makes vegan cheese, that we're doing this for a, a reason. Um, and that's what, just what response do you get, Miyoko, like from staff? Are they open to it? The majority of them open to it? Or do you get any kind of pushback? I'm just kind of curious what, you know, because that can be quite confronting, uh, you know, with some of those uh, those films and education. So what kind of response do you get? Actually, we've gotten really good response. People see these movies, and we do it in a way where we're not judging anybody. We're just putting out the information, saying this is why, this is what we believe, and this is why we're doing this. And we found that people react really, really well to it. Um, we found a lot, we find a lot of support for it. And we have, you know, we've only been in business for a little over a year and a half, and we have a lot of employees in production who've been here since almost the beginning, um, and they continue to stay. Um, and I think they really, really like what we're doing. Wow, that's great. I think that's a really good lesson there for, like you say, communicating those those things and what you believe in without being judgmental. I think there's lots of uh, key lessons there for activists in general. So um, that's fantastic. What about um, other expert help um, that you've used to grow? Because as you say, Miyoko, it's only a kitchen. I know you've had other businesses. It's only been going for, I thought it had been going a bit longer, so a year and a half, such massive um, growth. What, what other expert help, if any, have you used? So in terms of, you know, kind of business, business coaching, mentors, marketing, PR, that kind of thing? Well, we have a really great staff. Our CFO has 25 years of experience in the natural food industry. He was with Pullman and Wildwood and uh, large companies, basically. Um, and our COO was the founder of Wildwood, which is a, uh, a natural food company that makes uh, tofu and soy milk. Um, so these are, you know, we have very, very experienced people working in management. Um, so that's really helped us a lot. Um, we've got a marketing person who has many years of experience as well, too. So we're, we're building a great team here. And then, of course, we have brokers that work all over the country in the United States. Um, right. In terms of um, other kinds of coaching or advice, you know, we have um, many of our investors have, are, have vast experience in uh, in what we're doing in food or in distribution or whatnot. So we've been very fortunate. I think we've had a great uh, support base. Um, one of our investors actually is uh, Seth Tibbet, who's the founder of Tofurky. Oh, yes. Um, yes. Yeah, so he's on our board of directors as well, too, along with Billy Bramlett, who's the founder of uh, Wildwood, and he's our COO as well, too. So I think overall, you know, you just consider how many decades of experience all these people have. Yeah. Um, we've got a pretty uh, rock-solid team. 
Fantastic. That's wonderful. Now, in terms of, let's talk a little bit about competition. So there's now a much more diverse range of vegan cheeses. I know you've been vegan for many, many years. I've been vegan 20 years. And I know even just from 20 years ago in the UK, where I'm originally from, you know, the range of vegan cheeses, there wasn't much around and what was wasn't that great. Now there there is, you know, a much more diverse range. How do you go about standing out um, both within and outside of the vegan business arena? Well, we just try to make the best product we possibly can, and we've been very fortunate. Um, I mean, when I developed the cheeses, I wanted a cheese that would stand up to anything because um, I just don't want to serve anything that's just good because it's vegan. Um, and we have won awards at the Natural Products Expo in Anaheim a month ago. We won uh, a Nexty Award for our cultured, European-style cultured vegan butter, which is going to Australia next month. We're just shipping Fantastic. it out in a couple of weeks. And <laughs> so it'll be in Australia and um you know they're they're going to be bringing it into France and Germany as well um this butter you know this this was an award it wasn't for a vegan product it was just uh, uh an innovation award um and it won because it just tasted great um we won uh in the vegan arena that uh, we won the veg news award for product of the year as well as favorite artisanal cheese um but we really we just try to develop products that have hit a certain mark and if it doesn't hit that mark we don't want to introduce it to the product um, to the uh, marketplace because we just think that the only way you can get the world to change their eating habits is by producing products offering products that taste every bit as good as whatever it is that they're used to so that there is no excuse there's no uh, reason not to give up the dairy product for our product mm. um, yeah but absolutely but in terms of competition, I embrace competition. I think it's wonderful that the whole category is expanding. You know, it's really not about me against punk rock, against Heidi Ho or all these other vegan cheese companies. They're all needed. We're all making products that are vastly different from each other. And we're, we all play a part in expanding the entire category and making it more visible to the world. So it's extremely important that there are more and more players in this arena. Um, I mean, that's how the economy grows, and we really need to, you know, it's not just about one product line. It's about the entire category as a whole, and that's how we have to think about it, because that's the only way that we can make true economic change. Mm, absolutely. It's interesting you said that, because that's exactly what Seth Tibbet said when I interviewed him. He said he thought of it as, you know, a rising but a rising tide lifts all boats. Um, and as you said, yes. I mean, regular cheeses, there's so many of them, you know, that we, you know, we're, we're not even close to, you know, kind of getting there. So you're right that we do need um, so many more. And that, so you've kind of answered the next question, which was around the kind of concept of, you know, not necessarily thinking of competitors in the traditional sense, but more as collaborators, um, you know, and potentially to, to do joint ventures with. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? And have you done any such collaborations or partnerships? Well, this is kind of funny. Now, we haven't done any collaboration so far with uh, so-called competitors, but I will tell you that the industry is such that we are um, all sort of friends. We, I, I do really believe that we're not competitors, that we are collaborators. Uh, the Plant-Based Foods Association, of which we're a charter member, we're one of the founding members, and, and I'm on the board of uh, directors for the Plant-Based Foods Association, um, there are two other cheese companies that make cheese, Daya and Follow Your Heart. And we meet once a week and we have a board meeting and we talk and we're all supportive of each other's products and, uh, you know, give each other um, 
uh, high five for every new product that the other uh, makes um, because that's really what it takes, as I was saying. Um, and, and another little anecdotal thing is that uh, 15, 20 years ago when I had another company, uh, it was called Now and Zen, and we had a product called the Unturkey, uh, which came out in, I think it was 1995 or so. We were, and there was one other competitor at the time that was Tofurky, and we were, <laughs> Steph Tibbet and I, you know, we were competition. He was number one in the marketplace, and we were number two. Um, and, you know, we would like poke fun at each other's products and goods, you know, just, just for fun. I mean, it was never serious, but we, you know, we go out and get a bite to eat and stuff. And, you know, lo and behold, um, 20 years later, he's an investor in our company. Um, you know, there was never any, that is what this industry is about. And I think the whole movement, it's not just the industry, the whole um, plant-based foods world, the, the vegan world is one about, um, we need to be one of, of helping each other and recognizing that we're all agents of change um, and that the, the the way we're going to gain strength is by banding together and supporting each other. Uh, and I think that happens most of the time, um, and we need to keep doing that. Mm, I love that. That's such such wonderful advice, and I really love that anecdote. That's that's just fantastic. Um, so in terms of um, marketing, um, Miyoko, what have been some of the marketing strategies you've used that have been successful in growing Miyoko's Kitchen? Well, to be perfectly truthful, I would say there's been a very, very grassroots approach to marketing, um, you know, utilizing so many of the loyal fans we have and Facebook and Twitter and things like that. We haven't, we do a lot of, uh, outreach at VegFest and, uh, events like that. Um, we've had a lot of blogger support by sending out samples. We have, we've sort of shied away from traditional forms of advertising because we just didn't have the sort of cash to do that sort of thing. So a lot of it's been really sort of grassroots bloggers, um, uh, media outreach, um, PR. Um, we've got somebody, uh, our marketing person is just, I think she's excellent at PR and that's been extremely helpful too. Good. That's great. It's good to hear that actually, you know, particularly for people that don't have the budget, like you say, for traditional advertising, which you can't always measure the return on your investment that way. So um, that's good. And that's great to hear that you've had success obviously doing that. Now let's talk about books because you're the author of, I think it's five books altogether, including Artisan Vegan Cheese and your latest, The Homemade Vegan Pantry, The Art of Making Your Own Staples. And having a book's a fantastic way to position yourself as an expert, as well as raise the profile of your brand. So I'm curious how did your most recent two book deals come about? I'm just wondering, did you already have that profile and they came to you or did you go to a publisher? How did that work out? Well, Artisan Vegan Cheese, which came out in 2012, was published by my previous publisher, but I hadn't written a book in over 10 years. And I wasn't sure whether or not, you know, I'd sort of been out of the food world for a while. I was taking care of parents, dying parents and raising kids and, and doing some other things. Um, so I wasn't sure that they would go for the idea. And this is how much I underestimated the world's interest in vegan cheese. Um, so I pitched the idea back in 2009 or something of writing a vegan cheese cookbook and they, or maybe 2010, they said, sure. Um, I was just shocked. Must have been 2009. <laughs> Going backwards in time, you know, the time I pitched it to actually writing it, to submitting it and all of that. Um, and so I was, so that was a, that was very, very easy, um, to do. Homemade vegan pantry, I decided I wanted something, you know, I was with a, a great publisher for, for my first four books, but a smaller publisher, and I wanted to try something different. I wanted a, 
um, a beautiful, you know, hardbound book with gorgeous pictures. And so I decided to, um, I got an agent and um, pitched to several publishers. Um, I was lucky I got several offers and I landed with 10 Speed Press, which is part of Random House. And that's the one that I was hoping for ever since I saw their a book of theirs, uh, I don't know, back like 20, 30 years ago, they had a book called The White Trash Cookbook. It was hilarious. <laughs> what a fat And I thought, oh, my God, who is this publisher? You know, with <laughs> uh, like these recipes with Cool Whip and gelatin Jello and stuff like that. <laughs> and you open up a can of, I don't know, Spam and <laughs> like <laughs> hilarious cook. And the pictures are hilarious. I thought, oh, my God, what a creative. And they just put out, you know, beautiful book after beautiful book over the last uh three decades or so. So I kind of wanted to be with them and was hoping they would make me a nice deal, and they did. So I've been extremely happy with that book. It's it's done really well as well. Um, so um, I'm supposed to be working on a revised edition of Artisan Vegan Cheese. Um, wow. So um, the problem there is I just haven't had time to <laughs> work on it. So <laughs> one of these days that will get done. Um, yeah. What benefits have you seen in regard since the latest two books were released? Um, I guess in terms of marketing and brand awareness of Miyoko's Kitchen, like how have those books helped you? Oh, I think they've helped me incredibly. You know, it's interesting because my name is associated with the brand and the books and everything, so it's kind of like all mixed up together. Um, there's, you know, I get comments. We, you know, we just get emails and comments about the book cookbooks on our. Miyoko's Kitchen Facebook page, and I get personal emails about Miyoko's Kitchen cheeses, and and so it all kind of plays together. Um, and I think it all it is all sort of related. Um, it's all about um, making you know really improving the quality of the foods that you eat. Uh, that's what we try to do at Miyoko's Kitchen, and of course my books are all about that too. For sure. And I guess obviously having the book uh, raises your profile. You get asked to speak at events because I think sometimes vegan business owners who are producing product, I, I know some I've spoken to have said, you know, and I've sort of said to them, you know, one of the strategies you can use is, you know, to become, become a speaker, you know, speak at events. And they're like, oh, but, you know, what do I got to speak about kind of thing? But when you're kind of so involved in the plant based industry and you become that expert, um, you know, you do sort of become uh, sought after to speak at various events and that can really help you grow. And I think you're a, a fantastic example of that and I see you popping up everywhere speaking on panels and like you say joint the plant-based foods association which is wonderful um, so in and I love doing the, that actually uh, too. I mean just this, I absolutely love speaking in front of people and you know I get a lot, asked a lot of questions about how do I do this how can I become an entrepreneur how do I write a book and you know I really really want to encourage and inspire people to take up the torch and try to do something on their own to impact change in this arena um, so it's something that I'm really passionate about. I love connecting with people um, and, uh, you know, with my audiences and talking to people and hearing their stories. Oh, well, you're definitely, it's definitely working. You're definitely inspiring people across the globe, which is wonderful. Um, so in terms of the word vegan, again, this is something I ask everybody and I get different answers, obviously, from different people. In terms of the use of the word vegan in your marketing materials, on your website, your branding, and, you know, there's two schools of thought. One is, oh, vegan's still a bit too scary. Uh, you know, it'll scare people away. And the other is, no, it's actually clever niche marketing because veganism is popular now. What are your thoughts on this? And just tell us a little bit about the choice of how you use the word or not in your marketing and why? Well, we use the word vegan. Now, the Plant-Based Foods Association doesn't, and I'll address that in a minute. 
Um, we use the word vegan because I believe that's the wave of the future. I believe that there will not be, that is going to be the standard eventually. And I don't want to be catching up. I want to be leading the way. So I am proud to hold that vegan torch, that vegan banner up high because plant-based is usually just about health for the most part. Um, Vegan embraces much more than just yourself. As I said at the very, very beginning, it, it goes beyond the self and starts addressing so many other issues such as the environment and welfare of animals. Um, the fact that animals are not ours to use, that they have a right to live unto themselves. Um, of course, domesticated animals need our care because they've been domesticated for the last, you know, for many thousands of years. So they're not wild, so we actually should be stewards of them and need to care for them. Um, but that's why I like to use the word vegan because I think that is the more people who use the word vegan, the more awareness of that um, will be raised, that consciousness will be raised, and um, we just need to do that. So I'm very proud of that word vegan. Um, on the other hand, for a trade association that's trying to capture the imagination of the government uh, for regulation purposes and um, other industries, I think it's, you know, it can be a little bit scary. And so I think it was a wise choice to go with Plant-Based Foods Association rather than Vegan Food Association. But as a company uh, that has a clear message, um, I'm absolutely a believer in using the word vegan. I really like that. Thank you for making that differentiation because I think that you've really nailed it there that as a company, it's great to be doing that. But like you say, for a trade association that's going to have a seat in Washington um, at, at this stage, you know, it's a more strategic decision to use plant-based. Um, and I love the fact that, you know, you're associating vegan with your amazing products because it, 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 like you say, it does start to break down those stereotypes that, you know, vegan food's boring and this, that and the other. And so, you know, having associating it with something positive and delicious is, is fantastic. So thank you for um, explaining that. So for those people who, like you say, you love to inspire other um, people who want to be entrepreneurs, for those who are working you know, as an employee, but they dream of running a business and obviously running it on ethical vegan principles, what, what's your advice to them? What, what are the key things they need to take into account before making that leap from employment to self-employed? Um. <laughs> Know what you're doing. I mean, and, and all across the board. First of all, make sure that's really, really what you're wanting to do and that you're willing to take the risk. Um, you know, and know your processes. It's really important. A lot of people write to me and they say, I've just started this little cheese company. And by the way, um, how do you make this? Um, it's <laughs> they have done their homework and they think that they can just reach out to another company and someone's going to teach them. So, you know, you really need to spend time, I mean, whether it's cheese or you're making t-shirts or whatever, um, really spend your, you know, your after work hours planning how you're going to do it. What is the audience? How far of a reach do you want? Um, a lot of it has boils down to, you know, what kind of company do you really want for yourself? Do you want to grow a huge, you know, $500 million company? Or do you just want to have a local company that, you know, supplies neighbors and make sure that, the amount of whatever it is you sell, the revenues are going to be able to support you. Um, a lot of employ, a lot of companies I know, my previous company as well too. Um, a lot of small 
companies never reach the point where they can pay themselves. I've heard this time and time and time again where the owner, yeah. everybody else but himself, and if they didn't have a, you know, a, a spouse or a partner to support them, they would not be able to sustain that business. So make sure that you've got a sustainable business model. Um, you know, at least put it on paper and, and, and then just test it and make sure that, you know, you can, that it, it's real. So you, you know what your margins are and what you're producing and, um, you know, what your potential reach is, can be. Plan for worst case scenario, not for best case scenario. I like that. Miyoko, do you think people should pay themselves kind of almost from day one or is there a kind of time limit that people should go, okay, now I'm going to start paying myself? There's this sort of thing and I don't know if it's a myth that, you know, often new businesses are not profitable within the first few years. Um, so can you sort of speak to that a little bit? Well, it depends on what kind of businesses. I mean, if you're going out and raising money, yes, you should, uh, and sufficient money, you should definitely pay yourself because you know, if you are the true mover and shaker for that business, if you're just doing it out of passion, and, and so that's why I think it's really clear to know why you're doing a business. Um, are you doing it? You may be, you know, if you start out, maybe you don't pay yourself for a while. That was the old business model for many years when you started a business. You didn't pay yourself until you were profitable. Um, but I think profitability should take into account when you're doing the business plan, you got to take into account your own salary and determine whether or not you can be profitable. Because mm. if you're just kind of hoping that you're going to get to profitability and pay yourself eventually, you may never get there. Right, right. Yeah, that's a really then, good point. And then your business really isn't going to succeed. So For sure. So are you yeah. doing it for fun or are you doing it because you want that to be your, you know, your your livelihood? So if you want it to be your livelihood, plan for profitability. Um, awesome. And if you're yeah. using your own money, you know, if you're starting from scratch, if you're starting a small business using your own money, maybe you don't pay yourself, obviously, in the very beginning. Otherwise, you're putting money in and taking it out. Um, you don't, you know, so, plan, you know, plan for that and maybe you keep your other job. Um, so there's so many different scenarios. But if you're definitely, if you're going out and raising money, um, you want to be able to show your investors that this business will be, you know, is, can be profitable, uh, paying the CEO as well, too. Otherwise, um, they're going to say, they're, going to wonder how serious you are eventually for sure for sure so i'm talking on that about funding what are the because obviously you've used investors and there's lots of different ways people can go from loans grants crowdfunding savings um you've used investors can you sort of say just a little bit about what the pros and the cons are of getting investors on board particularly in the oh, early stage, you get, yes yeah, it depends on the kind of investors. I mean, there's family and friends where, you know, people believe in you and they want to support you and, and you maintain sometimes a lot more control because of that. And then there's institutional investors who might come in and say, well, we want you to do this or you want to do that. Um, and then more and more these days, there are these new funds that are mission aligned uh, that are, uh, for example, New Crop Capital, which is one of our recent funds. Yeah. And they're solely focused on uh, in expanding the plant-based foods uh, industry. So they're only investing in vegan businesses and their whole, uh, you know, the thrust of their fund is to overhaul animal agriculture. So there are companies that have that in mind and are willing to invest. But remember, every time you, you know, when you get investors of any kind, whether it's friends, family, or um, institutional investors, you're going to be, you know, uh, diluted and you're going to be losing some control. So you have to decide if you want that and how much you want to do that. If you don't want that at all, you know, crowdfunding is a great way to do it. 
um, it, depending on how much you need to raise. So I think that's also an issue is what kind of company are you trying to grow and how fast do you want to grow it? If you are, you know, if you're, if you want to grow it fast, then you need more money. Um, if you want to, you're happy to grow it slowly, then maybe you can do it with, you know, personal savings, maybe some loans, maybe some crowdfunding where you're not giving anything away, um, but you'd have to manage it a lot by giving all those rewards and everything. Sure. So yeah. once again, it goes back to what kind of company are you trying to to, to create and uh, what is your plan for growth? What are you, you know, do you want to grow organically and slowly? Do you want to get to, you know, I don't uh, five million the first year, fifteen million the second, and fifty the third. I mean, what what are you trying to do? So I think yeah. those are all really important questions to consider. And you know, and also not just, yeah, that sounds great. I want to get to a hundred million in five years, but like, what will make you happy? Because it's a lot of it has to do with that as well too. What, Absolutely. You know, how, what will make you happy, and how much can you handle? Yeah, that's a good point as well. Yeah. Um, Samyoko's Kitchen's a relatively new company. You've been involved in providing plant based foods for several decades. What skills from your previous jobs or careers have been useful in running your business? Oh my gosh, just about everything. When I first started my, I mean, I started my first business when I was in my 20s and didn't have a clue what I was doing. It was in Tokyo and I was uh, baking these pound cakes. Um, and I was, and I, I didn't even have transportation to deliver them, and I used to carry them in a backpack and take the subway and deliver them. Um, it was it was pretty crazy. And then and then I had a restaurant, and then I had Now and Zen. Um, and you know, back then when I first started, I didn't even know how to read a balance sheet. I didn't know what a profit and loss statement was. I didn't know anything. I, I remember selling products to people. And then getting back, and I, you know, I hand wrote little invoice or something, and then I realized I hadn't made copies. <laughs> I didn't know what I had <laughs> It was pretty disastrous. I was so disorganized. So, oh, that's so funny. you know, I, I really just kind of, it was just kind of, uh, I, you know, I went to the school of uh, the business hard knocks and, and learned by experience <laughs> and just was thrown into the flyer and had to learn. Um, I learned bookkeeping when um, I had to fire my bookkeeper, and then I had I opened up the books and was like, "Oh my God, what is this? What am I looking at?" And I had to figure it out. Um, so there's just so much that I have learned because um, I was in the natural foods industry before. I did have a, you know a rough idea of how things are distributed and, and how you get into stores and, and that sort of thing. Um, the whole broker distribution network was something that I already had a fairly good understanding of, but there's, you know, there's, there's more to be learned all the time. Um, th- there's, I'm, I'm so thrilled that I have these wonderful people on my team that have brought uh, years of experience. Um, we're going to grow to a point that I haven't reached in the past. Um, you know, we'll be going to a new facility and putting in new processing equipment, um, and we're envisioning new ways of processing and scaling that you know I hadn't previously considered. So that's really really exciting. Um, I think the 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 uh, the most important thing to keep in mind when you have any kind of business is to know what you don't know and always be willing to learn from others because there's always somebody who knows something better than you do. That's wonderful advice. It's funny, actually, I just just interviewed Victoria Moran and she said um, she embraces the concept of 
uh, beginner's mind, the Buddhist concept of beginner's mind. Yes. So always be willing to to learn. I love that you've you've reiterated that as well. And thank you for sharing that experience. I think it's really important, particularly for new vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Sometimes when they see, you know, a company or a person such as you having such such a lot of success, they kind of think, oh well, you know, she must have, you know, been lucky or you know, she kind of fell into it. So I love that you actually shared that, you know, you you've done the hard yards. You know, you were lugging pound cakes on your back on the subway and you didn't know all this stuff and now you do. So I think that's actually really important and really inspiring for people to know that you don't have to know everything at the beginning, but, you know, you do need to be, as you said, open and willing to learn. So thank you very much for sharing that. So final couple of questions um, around mindset. Many business owners say that running and owning a business is the fastest and most effective form of personal development because it forces you out of your comfort zone. Um, what qualities do you believe, Mioka, are essential to staying the course and running a successful business? Well, I think everyone has to find something that grounds them. And, you know, I've definitely been through, I remember the first few months of running this business when we first started, um, they were extremely, extremely stressful. Um, and we were growing so rapidly. And I remember I developed this eye twitch that wouldn't go away. And it was just a sheer sign oh, that wow. I was extremely stressed out and I wasn't sleeping at night. And I've always, you know, I've had that share of just waking up in the middle of the night, 3 a.m. It's like, oh, my God, I didn't do this. I didn't do that. And, oh, my God, I could do this. There's this exciting idea. And then I can't <laughs> sleep the rest of the night because my mind is just like racing and racing. Um, and I think there's, and everyone's got, I started meditating a little bit. Um, a few months ago, um, I'm not doing it regularly, but I, I'm doing it more. And I find that that just 20 minutes in the morning before I get out of bed, I just kind of sit there. I sit up in bed and, and do that. But one, another thing that I have found, actually the most effective thing that I have found, started last fall. Um, we moved to a farm, to a ranch. Um, and... Um, we started a little mini sanctuary. We started adopting, um, rescuing farm animals. Um, so every morning I spend an hour, hour and a half with the farm animals. We have, um, and sheep and pigs. And I do that in the evening as well too. And on weekends, I'll, sometimes I'll just spend all day with them out in the field. Um, and I'll just sit there and sometimes I do nothing but just sit and just watch them. And it is the most calming, grounding thing I have ever done in my life. When I am in the moment with these animals, I have no desire to be anywhere else. My mind is not on anything else. I'm not thinking, oh, my God, I should check my email or did anyone text me? Um, I don't even want to look at my phone. Um, mm. I just want to communicate with them. I just want to be with them because that is what they're all about. They're all about just being in the moment. And it's been more effective for me than anything else. I find I can come home, like last night, I you know, I was coming home. I don't remember why, but it was just one of those days when I felt like I could get home and have a glass of wine. And then I had an hour or so with the animals. And by, the, by then, you know, I had no, just didn't need a glass of wine because they brought me to that place I needed to be. Um, and it, so it's been, you know, I did it because I, I loved animals and I wanted to do it for them, but I've actually found that it's really more for me. <laughs> That's wonderful. Animals are so calming. I love being around them as well. What have been the key lessons you've learned through running your business, Miyoko, and particularly, I guess, with Miyoko's Kitchen? So whether they're personal things you've learned about yourself or others or professional or both? Um, honestly, I, the the key lesson well, for me uh, personally is that I really like 
working on, as a team prior to having this company again. Um, you know, even my previous company, I didn't have it, with Now and Zen. It was me, and I had an assistant and a production manager. It was a very, very small team. Um, but I did a lot of things kind of solo. And then for years, I was writing books and teaching cooking classes. It was a very solo activity. And I really like being part of a team. I really like, you know, people doing their job. And then we come together and we talk about it. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of people have good ideas and, and, um, you know, you just can't do it all. I think you can grow so much better, not only, not only for your company, but as an individual when you have to work with people. Um, so learning how to manage, um, I'm definitely not world-class manager. There's so much I'm learning. We, you know, I think our CFO is a great manager. I've learned a lot from him, but I've also learned a lot from my employees. Right, right. I think that's really good. And that's really important advice, as you say, for people wanting to grow. There's only so much you can do when there's just you. Um, so I think that that's really, um, really important. And then finally, um, what's your long-term vision for Miyoko's Kitchen and for yourself? Oh, well, uh, we, for Miyoko's Kitchen, we want to be able to replace the entire dairy case. With oh, I love all these that. Exciting, That's a good goal. <laughs> all these exciting cheeses. Um, we want to be. We want to be everywhere. We want to be able to have a dairy alternative for everything, so that there is no excuse. We want to set that gold standard for quality. Um, we're, you know, we started out with artisanal cheeses, setting up, setting that high standard for um, your cheese board style cheeses that are just, you know that are satisfying for everybody, but we're going to be introducing more price, uh, price uh, items for more price-conscious consumers. So um, every bit is good, but less expensive. Um, we'll have value-added products as well, too. Um, we want to grow, and we want, and we want to grow fast. Um, so that is, the, that is what we want to do, um, but the reason we want to do that isn't just for the you know the sustainability of the company, but um, we need to grow this whole category as fast as we can. And it's not just us; so many other exciting companies are coming to the forefront um, in uh, dairy replacements as well as meat replacements. And we need to do that because that's going to be the future of food. We need to, uh, in terms of sustainability. Absolutely. Well, I certainly personally vouch for your products. They're amazing. And I'm really excited to try some of the new ones that are heading over in my direction soon. <laughs> Miyoko, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. You've shared such a lot of wonderful, amazing and inspiring advice. And I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. So that was Miyoko Shinner from Miyoko's Kitchen. You can find out more about Miyoko and her products at miyokoskitchen.com. And you can find that link on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts. Now for our vegan business news roundup. The first vegan bakery has opened in San Francisco. Wholesome Bakery, which operated as a wholesale company for seven years, teamed up with outdoor gear store Elite to share their premises in the Mission District, reports Veg News. The bakery served seasonal baked goods, including scones, tea and coffee cakes, cupcakes and some savoury offerings. Owner Mandy Harper's long-term aim is to open additional wholesome bakery outlets in other parts of the Bay Area before branching out to Los Angeles, Austin, 
Portland and Seattle. Now, talking of expansion, another vegan bakery has announced nine new locations across the US. According to Veg News, Cineholic has signed franchise agreements to open outlets in Arizona, Colorado and San Diego in California. Atlanta and Las Vegas are also in the works down the tracks. Cineholic, which currently has two locations, is one of the vegan businesses featured on the popular TV show Shark Tank in 2014, so it's great to see them expanding. Now, when I first went vegan 20 years ago, one of the things I missed most was Twix bars. I used to love Twix bars. Well, now there's a vegan version. US confectionery manufacturers Go Max Go have created the Tufa, that's spelled 2 F E R, in response to consumer demand for a veganized Twix bar, reports latest vegan news. The Tufa is available in speciality retailers across America, including some Whole Foods locations. I would have loved something like a twofer all those years ago. So I'm thrilled that companies are veganising the old favourites because it proves to people that you don't have to give up or sacrifice your favourite foods to live vegan. Once renowned for its meat-centric culture, Germany has undergone a radical transformation, with parts of it becoming a vegan paradise. This was evidenced recently by the opening of a new vegan restaurant in Berlin, which proved so popular that police moved in to break up the crowds. (laughs) Over 300 people piled into the Dandy Diner in Neukölln within just 20 minutes of the doors opening last weekend, with another 500 queuing outside spilling out onto the road, reports the local. Police were allegedly concerned about public safety and forced the restaurant owners to close the celebrations early. Now, while that might have been annoying for the business on the night, it turned out to be great publicity for the Dandy Diner as the story made international headlines. And you can bet the restaurant will continue to be busy because as humans, we hate to think we've missed out on something. So those people that were turned away will have plenty of opportunity to check out the venue. And, you know, just from a PR perspective, whoever organised the opening deserves a pat on the back. That's the sort of launch that you want. Uh, The masses have come. (laughs) Finally, a new pea-based milk is being hailed as a healthier and more sustainable alternative to dairy, reports Fast Company. Ripple is the brainchild of Adam Lowry, one of the founders of the $100 million sustainable soap brand Method. According to Lowry, Ripple is more like dairy milk than other plant-based alternatives, describing it as creamy and sweet. And the good news is it doesn't taste anything like peas. (laughs) It's lower in saturated fat and better for the planet. The company's calculated that its milk takes 96% less water to make than almond milk, 99% less than dairy milk and 76% less than soy milk while its carbon footprint is 93% smaller than dairy. Ripple will be available at Whole Foods from the 2nd of May and will expand from there. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please consider giving it a review and a rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. I'm Katrina Fox from veganbusinessmedia.com and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode. Bye for now.